I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Stonehenge in Dorset, my Stonehenge in Wiltshire. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, you'll be interested to know we had multiple messages about your theory on where <laughs> the Stonehenge is. Yeah, I'm still convinced it's in Dorset. I don't know why. I just, I feel like Wiltshire was basically Dorset, if I'm being honest with you. Honestly, my UK geography is dreadful. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say, is your geography just always terrible? I wouldn't say it's always terrible. Like I could I could probably get to Dorset quite easily without mapping it. Um but that's Dorset not Wilshire, I guess. I couldn't find Wilshire clear Wilshire clearly. That's gonna be difficult. If I get that part of the country all mixed up, it's all quite similar to me. Um what what about your like national geography, your world geography? My world geography, yeah, I think it's pretty spot on. Why are you going to try and test me, or what continents Mongolia in? <laughs> That's actually really difficult. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I mean, it's between it's between Russia and China, um, so it can't be. I wouldn't have said it's in in Europe. Um, potentially Asia, then. <laughs> Potentially Asia. That's what yeah. you're going for, is it? You're correct. Um, yeah. but it's it's worrying how long it took you to get to that conclusion. It's all right. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, your second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the midweek games here in the championship. Another explosive round of results. And of course, we'll talk about the sacking of Chris Wilder at Middlesbrough, which irritatingly happened just a matter of hours after the podcast was released uh, on Sunday. Well, it actually happened on Monday, but you see what I mean. So we'll talk about that in the news as well as all the other managerial changes, which have really been kicking off over the past couple of days. Uh, and then we'll finish off with the classic Diddy or didn't he right at the end. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. So, Justin, is this the end for Steve Bruce? It's after West Brom lost again, this time 1-0 away at Preston. West Brom conceded in the opening 10 minutes, which isn't a surprise. They've conceded more goals in the first 15 minutes of games than anyone else. After that, they huffed and they puffed as they tried to get back in the game. But I never really felt like it was going to happen, Justin. No, I'm completely in agreement with you. Um, they, I don't know, I think it's just the way they attack. They are not, they're not a team that convinces me that they have a variety of options. It feels like they want to get the ball into Jed Wallace's feet and see if he can put a cross into the box. Um, now, Steve Bruce has played a similar style of football uh, for a long time, basically for his career. He's relied on his his um, key players to create a spark, and that's just not happening with 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 uh, West Brom. And I think they're over, becoming over reliant on those individuals to try and bail them out. And those individuals aren't bailing them out. I don't think they've done it at all this season. They did it on occasion last season, but yeah, their their style of play just isn't befitting that of a team that needs to push for the for the top um for the top two because as I say you you can't put all of your eggs in, in one basket through Jed Wallace, through Grady D and Garner to create something. You've got to have a philosophy and style of play that's gonna open teams up. And I just don't think West Brom do. They don't move the ball quick enough. The movement um the movement in the final third is is really you know it's quite structured, it's quite static. 
Um, and and quality just isn't there either. And I think that's down to confidence. And for me, for, for those reasons alone, Steve Bruce, um, Steve Bruce has got to has got to go. As as we, we talked about this season, managers have gone for less this season, um, much much less. Uh, and with the expectations and money that's gone into this West Brom team and the profile of players that they've signed, they're not youngsters, they're older players. Um, it feels like this season's the chance that West Brom have to go up and they're shooting themselves in the foot by not making a decision on Steve Bruce. Yeah, I see what you mean, because they seem to focus all their attacks down the wings and it didn't really provide anything substantial. I mean, Grady Dean Garner had a couple of bright moments and if anything was going to happen, it looked like it was going to happen through him. But overall, West Brom just, despite all the possession they had in the second half and the number of pops they had at goal, they didn't really have anything where I thought, oh, here we are, this is going to be the moment. I think there was one where they forced a good save from Freddie Woodman from, um, I think, in the six-yard box. But even then, he was more of a half chance than anything. It was just a really lacklustre performance again. And surely, Justin... This result means it's curtains for Steve Bruce. It sounds like we're campaigning for him to be sacked. We're not. But it just seems impossible for him to have much longer in charge, doesn't it? Yeah, I like Steve Bruce. I think he's a, I think personally, not personally, sorry, don't know him personally. Um, I think he's a good guy and he comes across really well in the media. And he has had a bad rap from Newcastle fans, even though he did deliver some stability um, with them, albeit not very ambitious. Um, But if you're talking about results, since he came into West Brom and that's the way I sort of tried to phrase it um, a couple of minutes ago is managers have gone for less this season and with West Brom's expectations and um, the squad that they have, they should be pushing higher. So yeah, Steve Bruce should be gone, but I don't think he is. There's well well documented that his relationship with Ron Gawley is fairly personal. Ron Gawley, however you pronounce it, is fairly personal. Um, So that might get him uh, a little bit of extra time and performances aren't dire either. They are creating chances. They're not taking them. Granted, they're a bit one-dimensional. Um, and for those reasons, I think Steve Bruce has got at least a couple more games um, before a decision is made. But West Brom, West Brom have a habit, and this is due, down to the hierarchy and the terrible decision-making. West Brom have a habit of sacking good managers at the wrong time and bad managers um at the wrong time, uh, at the right time, too late. at the wrong time, too late. Yeah. Pardew got a lot of games, for example. Darren Moore went um, when he shouldn't have gone. And, and I think Ishmael should have stayed as well. Um, so, yeah, the, the decision making in the operations of West Brom is, is absolutely dreadful. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the main reason why West Brom find themselves lingering around in the championship for seemingly another season because of the poor decisions that have been made now over a number of years. But going back to Steve Bruce, ultimately it's very difficult to defend his position at this point, isn't it? If you're saying he deserves at least another couple of games, I don't see what you're basing that on. Because one win in 12 for a side like West Brom is just nowhere near good enough. And he simply has to go. As I say, we're not campaigning for him to be sacked, but... I just can't see any reason for him staying at this point. And you're absolutely right. Managers this season have gone for a lot less than what Steve Bruce has done so far. So I think the club is just stuck in this massive vortex of negativity. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's going to change while he's in charge. In the week, Steve Bruce said he's convinced they'll finish better than they did last season. He said, I'm convinced we'll finish better than 10th. Imagine saying that to a West Brom fan at the start of the season. You'll mm-hmm. finish ninth. No West Brom fan would see that as a positive season. It's top six or nothing, really. And if you finish outside the top six, maybe even finishing sixth may be seen as by some West Brom, West Brom fans as a negative season. So there needs to be a change to salvage whatever's left of the season. I think the top six is looking very, very unlikely now. People may point to Forrest last season, but even then that was a remarkable side, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. I think West Brom would just be happy to finish in the top half, really, just because things have gone so badly so far. And the new manager who comes in has really got the hands full to turn this ship around. Uh, but let's give some praise to Preston, shall we, Justin? Nine cliche sheets from 12 games. We'll ignore the goal-scoring side of things, but it truly is a remarkable stat, that, isn't it? Nine cliche sheets from 12 games. 
Yeah, it's it's um it's pretty bonkers. And Freddie Woodman's clean sheet record in the championship is ridiculous. It's it's like that of a it's like that of Dyke Gale's goal record in the championship, but with clean sheets, it's it's completely completely bonkers. So clean sheets follow Woodman wherever he goes. So for that investment alone, it was it was a good one from Preston. But I know we've criticised Preston at times this season and the defensive record. I mean, they did concede quite a few chances here to West Brom, but um. Yeah, if West Brom had a bit of a variety and spice about them, they might have they might have broke through Preston, but they didn't. And Preston managed the game really well. Liam Lindsay was was fantastic in the in the back three. Jordan Story is a um, a really good player, and he's, he seemed to have come on come on in leaps and bounds this season after his loan spell with Sheffield Wednesday last season. Um, and all and for for all of the lack of goals as well, um, and let's completely ignore the clean sheets for the lack of goals. You can't deny the fact that they do want to have a go at teams. They do want to play on the front foot, and they do want to attack. Just not very good at converting those chances, but if you look at the the opportunity they got um, through uh, with with the first goal from Emil Reese, it was a really good really good move um, into the wing back ball into the box and 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 Reese is on the the end of it. So they do have some nice phases of play. It's just making sure that's consistent and clinical because um, I think Troy Parrott came on and I was like, ah, he's got the worst conversion rate in the league. This isn't going to be a two 0 game um, for Preston. So yeah. To, Built on defensive foundations, to say the least. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to summarise Preston. Yeah, Troy Parrott has really struggled this season and he's had the most shots by any player in the division and is yet to score. Um, so he, he's still trying to find his feet here in the Championship. But Emil Reese uh, got on the score sheet, which is good to see because he's a striker who's been lacking confidence so far. But that defensive record, as we say, is just absolutely phenomenal. Jordan's story has been an absolute revelation this season. Last season... I don't think Preston fans would have been too sad to see him go out the door, but he stuck around and has been fantastic so far. Liam Lindsay has kind of struggled at championship level previously. Henty, I remember when he came up and um, was brought by Stoke and there's not really given a look in there. Mm-hmm. He's gone to Preston. It's taken some time for him to find his feet, but he's been one of the best defenders in the championship so far. And as you say, Freddie Woodman, people may think that Preston's clean sheet record so far is down to them sitting back and Woodman not really having much to do with. <laughs> you could not be more wrong. Freddie Woodman's been a busy boy so far. So the fact that he's managed to keep nine clean sheets is absolutely incredible. So yeah, for what was a million pounds, I think they signed him for, or something around that mark. That is a ridiculous bit of business. And Preston do have a habit of doing that, don't they? They, By and large, their transfer business is a bit so-so, but every so often they'll find someone who's an absolute bargain. And it seems like Freddie Woodman is that bargain for this era. Um, And considering he's still very young as well, I I don't think you can really say anything more than that is just a phenomenal, phenomenal sign. And so, yeah, Preston, you've got to take that off to the defensive record. Of course, they need to do better going forwards. But yeah, he's... Amazing how well they've done defensively so far. A big shock at Bramall Lane, Justin. Sheffield United nil, QPR one. It's only the second time the Blades have lost at home since Paul Heckingbottom took over last November. Sheffield United peppered the QPR goal. <laughs> Senny Dieng was certainly a busy boy, but only a couple of really good chances. And overall, Rangers defended really well here, Justin. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't for lack of trying, um, but I think... The underperformance at the the weekend from Sheffield United probably just seeped into into this game a little bit. And considering QPR's away record is now the best away record in the division, they're clearly going to hurt you if you're not quite at your best. And and they did that, and they've got the quality to do it. But for Sheffield United, yeah, it's, it's a disappointing result. But considering how well they've started this season, um, they're going to take a few bumps uh, along the road. Um, it's just how they react to it, which is what we always say about. Um, teams gunning for automatics is how they respond to to um, to bad results, and um, I think on the balance of things, probably wasn't um, probably wasn't the ideal lineup either. Jaden Bogle, Bogle at left wing back, and um, you know, the, just like that balance, and it showed at times. Um, and Oli McBurney didn't have his best game, and the midfield wasn't quite at at its best either. So there was a lot of a lot of players not quite at it, um, which is quite worrying, actually. I think Paul Hagenbottom at the weekend said they look quite leggy. Um, they felt leggy. And if you're going into this period of games where it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for the next four weeks, if you're looking leggy at the start of that um, run of games, a bit of a worry for the next few weeks, I think. 
Well, let me ask you this, Justin, because prior to the international break, Sheffield United were the best team in the league, weren't they? Only Norwich came close to challenging that title. But held to a goalless draw at home to Birmingham at the weekend. Now a lost QPR at home. You think that is worrying, do you? I, th- I think it's a slight concern. Um, but as I say, I think it's just how they respond to this run of results. Um, like Heckingbottom said, they they look leggy. And I think that's, that's part of the issue. Um, they just need to find way of setting into into the run of games that they've got coming up um and let's you know let's not discredit the teams that they've come up against qpr now the best team best away team in the division birmingham um the away record is okay and they're a very organized difficult team to play against and you're coming into that game just after the international break um where it's always a bit disjointed a bit like a game at the start of a season and those those types of games it's going to be it's going to be difficult, but I think because Sheffield United have set such high standards for themselves, um, especially at home, and they drop, well, not, not drop, but they, they collect one point in two at home, it's always going to feel disappointing. It's always going to be a slight worry. I find it hard to be too worried when they were so amazing in the first 10 games. Every team has their sticky patches, don't they? Even title winners. I can only recall a couple of teams who haven't at this level had sticky patches. So I'd imagine... They will get back to winning ways soon. It is worth mentioning. They've been missing Ahmed Dozovic, who's such an influential player, and a host of other defenders. They've had to get Reda Kadro and Jaden Bogle filling in at left wing back, which isn't ideal. And you can get a squad with all the depth in the world, but when you have an injury crisis like theirs, it's going to catch up with you. So I think these are just bumps in the road as opposed to anything to be seriously worried about right now but let's go to QPR Justin who are flying they're sat fourth in the table now one loss in eighth and this is a result which makes other teams sit up and take notice doesn't it yeah it should do I think I would caveat it with they're probably still on that riding across the way under under McBeal and fair enough but actually um, the the performances of individuals in the team at the moment are absolutely brilliant. If you look at Leon Balogun, for example, who I think him signing in the summer, thirty four year old defender from Rangers on a free, you're not gonna you're not gonna um, yeah throw a party, are you? Um, but he's been absolutely fantastic in the games he's played in so far, and he was brilliant here, and, and he was massive in, in QPR keeping a clean sheet. Ethan Laird again, brilliant. Kenneth Paul really really started falling over them. Um, He's, he's been fantastic, and then and then they've got the individual quality um, as well going forwards with Chair Willock and Roberts when he's when he's on it, um, because you know Willock's got the the ability to change a, a game on his head, and, and he's done that in this one. But yeah, for QPR, they're in a really good place at the moment. Um, and although Sheffield United did create quite a few chances, QPR are chances themselves. They're not one of those teams who just sit back. They will. They're very smart in how they play. They're very um, intricate at times, and they're very good on the counter, and they're very good in possession as well. Really, really nice balance, this QPR team. Can they last the full season? I don't know, but I think we'll know more once we get to January if if QPR add to the team. Um, But it's a really, really exciting time, I think, under Bill. Yeah, well, it's completely undeniable. The early signs of McBeal as a manager are really promising, aren't they? He's always been banded around as quite a highly rated coach. And now we're seeing that in the flesh, aren't we? He's got this team playing a really attractive brand of football, but it's also getting results. When you've got two players like Elias Chair and Chris Willock, two of the best midfielders in the division for my money, you're going to make a good go of pushing towards the upper end of the table. Unfortunately, it looks like Chris Willock's done his hamstring again. So he might be set for a spell on the sidelines, but hopefully it won't be too long. But someone else will certainly have to step up in his absence. But elsewhere, the two wingbacks, brilliant. I'm really big fans of Paul and Laird. Senny Diang's a great goalkeeper. Jake Clark-Salter's coming to the team now at the back. Sam Field's a really underrated midfielder. I cannot under- underestimate that enough. He has been fantastic so far. Just really good players all over the pitch. of really really comes into form at the same time. And if I'm being honest, I don't think they've been the fourth best team in the league so far, but in terms of results, they're churning them out and I think they're getting better, which is really, Mm -hmm. really promising. So it is also easy to forget, Justin, that this was the team who was fighting out for Bournemouth for second place in large parts of last season. Mm -hmm. So they're definitely capable of being a force to be reckoned with and sustaining their good form over a long period of time. A lot does depend on players staying fit, so we'll have to wait and see 
with that, particularly with Willock's injury. But right now, I think if I was a QPR fan, I'd be absolutely buzzing. In a meeting between third and second, Reading and Norwich drew one all. Norwich were the better side, but to be fair to Reading, they stayed resolute and defended really well. Norwich found it a bit difficult, breaking them down. And there were only really two moments that I can recall where Norwich had genuine chances, one of them being the goal, of course. And when you consider how atrocious Reading were at the back last season, it's quite remarkable, isn't it, how much Paul Lintz has changed for them, changed yeah. for them in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we've yeah, with Reading, I think when when I talk about their squad depth, it's not a criticism; it's just it's just an observation um, because I have mean, praised Reading quite a lot this season, and they deserve to be praised. Um, because they are putting in a monumental effort to get their results. It was another great display here, as you pointed out. They worked incredibly hard for their point, um, and they have a really good group of players, and they're all playing for the manager, and that's a very difficult thing to um, to get across, especially uh, a manager who, for me, um, was one of the, the managers I wouldn't have looked at and gone, yeah, I like you. Um, nothing personal, just from a footballing perspective. You know, eight years out of the game, it's going to catch up with you. But just, just got... I don't think you need to defend that, considering his managerial <laughs> record prior to Reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you you just can't hide the fact that he's he's done he's worked wonders this season. Um, and albeit they don't create too many chances, but if you talk about the defensive numbers of the game, the amount of tackles they made in this game was the fifth most this this week. Um, for example, uh, and they made twenty three tackles, which I'm. You're probably going to need to do against Norwich. You're going to need to get in the faces, make it difficult for them. Um, but he's got the likes of Tom Ince and Jeff Hendrick playing the best football for years as well, um, which goes a long way. Um, and the fact that they've managed to plug gaps with free transfers who nobody fancied, um, likes of Sam Hutchinson. Um, and he's turned Junior Hoyler into an incredible wing back. I know I said at the weekend that they could opposition teams could target him, um, but he's he's a very well-rounded player. And I completely forgot that he played for Neil Warnock. So, being a hard-working, defensive-minded player has got to be in that uh, mindset as well. But yeah, Paul Lynch deserves a lot of praise, a lot of credit. Um, squad depth is, I feel, is short, but nonetheless, they're in a good place right now. Yeah, the fact that they sit third, despite all the preseason predictions, including from us, and transfer restrictions, it really is remarkable. It's quite strange, really, because I can't recall a team who's been beaten four 0 twice and three 0 and still sit third in the championship after 12 games. Because when they've been bad, they have been really bad. <laughs> but when they've won, they've by and large been good value for the wins. And I keep seeing Reading fans be annoyed about other fans saying they didn't deserve it. They deserve it because they work their, abs- they, they work their socks off in every single game, Justin. And each player there, to quote the great man, is willing to die for three points. And... Paul Ince deserves a lot of praise for that. He's really making our ranking of him being the least good manager in the league look a bit silly, even though it would have been hard to justify him being anywhere else in that list at the time. But nonetheless, he has really done an amazing job in galvanising this side, which looked as if it was on a one-way trip to League One. And they continue to defy expectations. I continue to be in the mindset that they will begin to fall away sooner rather than later, just because I don't think their squad's as strong or as deep as other teams in the division. But I'll happily accept that our prediction of relegation is looking unlikely now because of the good start. And they're absolutely flying. Um, And right now, as a Reading fan, they they are buzzing because I keep getting it in my DMs every single day um, (laughs) from Reading fans saying, uh, are you feeling a bit silly now? Um, So yeah, absolutely. Reading fans should be very happy with their start. And uh, Paul Ince deserves a lot of credit for that. This is only the second time in nine games Norwich have dropped points, which is a it's a rather mad run of form, that, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, it is. But I think it masks some of the issues that Norwich have gone through this season. Um, like, for example, I don't think they're a 90-minute team. Um, I know they create chances, and by and large, if a team creates more chances than the opposing team, then, um, then you suggest they deserve to win it. But like I said, I don't think 90, I don't think 90 minutes... Um, Norwich are consistent enough across across those yeah about ninety minutes. We said that like Yoda then backwards, but my point is, my point is they give teams opportunities. Some will take it like Reading, 
some won't take it like Blackpool. Um, so if, if Norwich are going to continue and improve and, and, and make themselves a, a solidified contender for the for the automatics, um, they need to improve their overall management of games and killing games off as well um, because they give they did give Reading chances. Blackpool had a host of chances at the, at the weekend. Um, so there's there's some there, some aspects there that need to be worked on that do that do raise a few a few red flags. Interesting. Middlesbrough beat Birmingham 1-0 in their first game since sacking Chris Wilder. Ex-Uruguayan international Leo Perkovic was in charge for this game. I love the scenes after the game of him thumping his chest and kissing the badge. He seems like a right character. But why, why does this happen, Justin? A manager gets sacked and then the team instantly wins with the caretaker in charge. I, I, I never understand it. I think with Middlesbrough's case, I think just Chris Wilder just brought a lot of baggage with the club. There was obviously all the murmurs... Um, of him moving to elsewhere, um, but I just think he just brought a lot of baggage, and I don't think it was a uh, a love affair that was a, a positive one. It was possibly a, a couple that needed to get divorced a lot sooner than they did, um, sadly. Um, and I think that seeps into the players and their mindsets, and just creates negativity. And Leo Persovich, if you talk to any Middlesbrough fan, um, they will tell you how how positive he is, how passionate he is. And sometimes you just need a bit of that, just need someone to shove a rocket up your ass and get going. Um, and he probably did that. And that's probably why um, Borough got the win. Uh, they weren't at the vintage. I say the vintage best this season. Um, the vintage best has been playing well, not getting points. Um, so they'll play ugly and, and get points. I think they'd be very happy with that anyway. Yeah, Perkovic didn't change too much from what Wilder's been doing. The main thing of note that he did was give young Hayden Hackney a go in midfield. Otherwise, it was a standard 3-5-2. Would be interesting to see how the new manager would go ahead with this team. Interestingly, Perkovic said he expects to be in charge for the game against Millwall on Saturday. So hopefully we'll get more chest thumping at the weekend. <laughs> we'll talk more about Wilder and the potential new manager in the news, Justin. Uh, what did you think of Birmingham? It wasn't a bad display by any means. I think it was a... A tired performance. Um, they had a good spell in the first fifteen minutes. I just think they their their, their squad depth might come to the fore a little bit. Um, they'll probably make a couple of changes for the weekend. But overall, um, it was just a poor goal to concede, considering the amount of bodies they had in the box. But it wasn't a terrible performance. They they more than match Borough at times. Um, as I say, I just think perhaps the superior fitness um, carried Borough over the line compared to Birmingham. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a win for Swansea away at Watford and also Hull ending a run of five straight losses. Back to the second tier podcast, a 97th minute winner from Ben Cabango gave Swansea a 2-1 win away at Watford. A game of two halves. Watford started very brightly, being 1-0 up at half time before Swansea came back to win, Justin. Um, it's got to be said, Watford weren't great over the 90 minutes. Uh, they had, in the first half, despite having the more in the way of chances, that they weren't at their fluid best, were they? What is Watford's fluid best? <laughs> I mean, the performance at Stoke at the weekend was quite fluid. The last 30 minutes was quite fluid. Um, I think Imran Lauser helps that massively, but I just think with the 4-2-3-1 from Bilic and Swansea's ability to overload central areas with their three midfielders and, and play it as quickly and intricately as they do, I just think Watford struggled. Um, and I think that's more telling of the issues that Rob Edwards had. Um, I think that 4-0 win at the at the weekend over Stoke just does mask over things quite significantly. A lot of the shortfalls in the squad were highlighted here. There's a lot of runners, a lot of number eights, but there's no there's a lack of creativity and mobile defensive solidity I would say in that team um, and I think it showed and the lack of mobility is not just um, not just uh, in, in midfield either I think the likes of Gaspard leaves a lot to be desired there um, and Cavaselli um, time and time again is 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 not consistent enough uh, for this level and you can say that about a lot of their defenders um, there's just a lot of issues with the Watford team that were it was highlighted badly um, against this Swansea team Um and they, they they picked them off and they kept going and the movement and and, and everything is is just in between. Um, but I think the way they defended the goal again was really really poor as well. The winner, um, Kapanga having that much 
I wouldn't say time and space, but the ability to get a free header on, on goal is, is, is really poor from Watford. It just highlights a lot of issues with the Watford squad once again. Well, do you think there are signs here of how Watford could continue to struggle despite Slavon Bilic coming in? Potentially, yeah. I think it depends how we can integrate Lauser into the team. Um, but I think defensively, they're not good enough. Um, I think there's uh, yeah, a broad mix of players who are... Um, should be stepping down the the leagues like Sir Tom Cleverley, Dan Gosling, um, maybe Craig Cathcart to an extent. Just a lot of players who are at the wrong end of their career, mixed with players who are at the who are in the peak but are underperforming massively. There's a lot more to do from Billich than just changing formation. Um, yeah, the squad just for me just isn't good enough to last the the sprint of a top six push. It really isn't. Well, for Swansea, this was their fourth win from five games and they have really started flying up the table. Sitting in the top six now, Justin. I was uh, ringing their praises at the weekend as a side to keep an eye on. And this was just another case of that, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. As I say, they they took advantage of, of Watford shortfalls, um, especially in the middle of the park. I think the way Russell Martin is, is the ability to now change his teams up and be a little bit more flexible. I think it's so, so big for him in Swansea this season because you showed with them going 4-4-2 a couple of weeks ago to get this run of form going, how significant that was um, because he's quickly changed back to um, the three at the back and they're playing how they're, we expect him to play. So it's literally a case of get it, 4-4, get it to 4-4-2, get the result, get the confidence back and then build back up again. Really, really clever management from um, from Russell Martin. I think there are a couple of issues. I think Joel Pirro is underperforming a little bit. And if Michael Obafemi isn't getting on the end of chances, he's not really in the game at the moment. So I think Martin's got to find a, a way to get those two buzzing again, like he did at the end of the last season. But for me, yeah, this, this Swansea team, I, I think, can be considered a dark horse. It's just whether or not they've got enough in their team and their squad to, to last the... Um, to last a sprint. But yeah, fantastic performance. A lot of character again from Swansea and a lot of push to keep going. But one of the players who I wanted to highlight has been fantastic this season is Ryan Manning at left wing back. Hmm. Really showing his best form in the Swansea shirt so far and the best form possibly in the championship. Because I, I remember him having a fantastic season at QPR when they were on fire with the likes of Eze and that lot in their hmm. team. Um and he was one of the key players there. And then he moved to Swansea. He's, he's struggled on occasion, but this season has really been a force to be reckoned with at left wing back. Him um, and um, Sovinola at uh, right wing back have really lit things up for Swansea on either flank. Um, Manning's just, when he comes to the final third and putting in a fantastic ball or, you know, trying to cause problems by running at defenders, he's really really stepped up his game in that regard. So, yeah, he's really, really caught my eye for Swansea over this fantastic run of games. And um, if he continues to do it over the course of the season, then he'll prove to be a really, really important player for them. Hull ended a run of five straight losses at home to Wigan, beating them 2-1. Hull's new manager was sat in the stands for this game. More on him later. Uh, I felt so happy for Andy Dawson here, Justin, getting his first and most likely only result as Hull's <laughs> caretaker boss. He deserves it, not just because he's a Hull legend, but also because he was properly thrown in at deep end last Friday, wasn't he? I mean, can you imagine if he had more than nine hours prep for the game? He maybe could have got a result against Luton as well. But yeah, you're right, he did deserve it. But there was a lot of um, a lot in this in this game that wasn't there on on on, on Friday night, and that's probably because of the last minute change in in it um, in manager. But I think to to be really basic about it, there's just a lot of commitment and character from this whole team. Um, and we haven't seen that very often this season. Granted, they're coming up against Wigan, who, whilst they are a very good away side, joint best with QPR in, in the division. Um, they do you can you can have a go at them because they do lack some of that championship experience that other team other teams have. Um, and I think at times Hall did that, and their quality showed in the end. Um, if you look at the the, the ball for I think it was Pelkas, um, I think it was probably Louis Coyle, um, was absolutely fantastic. And then Stupinan's back amongst the goals, which is really important. But yeah. Much improved performance, looked a lot more solid than they did against Luton, which is a very nice foundation for the new manager coming in if he's in by the if he's in by the weekend. But yeah, all credit to Andy Dawson for getting that team organised in the space of a couple of days because that's the 
the basic of what they need. They need to be organised. And if they are organised, the quality will come through and they'll start getting results. Even more impressive when we talk about Wigan's away form. This was only the second game this season out of six where they've failed to win away from home. It's their first loss on the road, which is a pretty remarkable for... I don't want to sound patronising for Wigan, but you see what I mean, considering they've just come up from League One. So disappointing for them, but they'll certainly take encouragement from their performances on the road so far. At Kenilworth Road, Luton and Huddersfield drew three all. How they've drawn, I have no idea. Huddersfield had three shots and had three goals. I think it was just one of those games, really, for Luton, wasn't it? It is. It will frustrate uh, Nathan Jones. I think they... Uh, all the it doesn't take much to frustrate him either, Justin. <laughs> no, that's a good point. You could, I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the things that you said about him, he, he pushes, he's pushes Granny over for the three points. Yeah, you can imagine him being quite a touchy guy. But um, I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of those managers who, who will be frustrated by this massively, even more so than he would be normally potentially. But if you consider that Luton are one of those teams in the league that. Um, they, they, they make really good starts. I think they've scored seven goals in the first 15 minutes this season. Um, and they score three goals at home and only come away with a point. You've, you're going to be really bothered by it. You're going to be frustrated. But I think there are a lot of positives to, to, to take from it. Jordan Clark's performance was fantastic. And Carlton Morris and Elijah Idebayo linked up really well. They just, um, I guess they just fell asleep on three occasions and Huddersfield scored three goals. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even really fall asleep, did they? It was just two corners, which I think they, they were the only two corners Huddersfield got on the end of. And then the other one was a penalty. It was just it's just annoying if you're a Luton fan, really, isn't it? But Elijah Adebayo scored two very well-taken goals. The first one uh, was, in particular was really nicely taken. But they're his first goals of the season. He had been struggling, so hopefully this will kick him back into gear. Overall, it's quite difficult to say how much... It's difficult to say much more on these teams, really, isn't it? Considering one obviously should have won and the other one should have lost. But here we are. Luton's next four games, West Brom away, QPR at home, Norwich away, and then the big local derby away at Watford. A real tough run, but a good test of Luton's promotion credentials, I suppose. Huddersfield, meanwhile, kind of the opposite. Hull, Rotherham and Preston. Now's the time for Mark Fotherham to start getting points on the board, isn't it? If they want to have any chance mm-hmm. of staying up. An 83rd minute stunner for Mark Harris gave Mark Hudson his first win as Cardiff boss as they beat Blackburn 1-0. Ryan Allsop saved an injury time penalty as well to help them get all three points. It's a good thing you did save it as well because it would have been undeserved to say the least if Blackburn did get a point here, Justin. (laughs) They offered so little, only managed one shot on target from open play, the other being uh, from the penalty spot. But fair play to Cardiff. They were knocking on the door throughout, weren't they? Callum Robinson offers so much more for them going forwards and came close to scoring on a couple of occasions, actually. They've looked bright on the Mark Hudson so far, aren't they? I'd be quite encouraged if I was a Cardiff fan. He's been given the go-ahead to add to his coaching staff, Justin, which is a big indicator that the Cardiff hierarchy is seemingly happy to let him carry on for the foreseeable. What do you think of that? Um I mean, I mean, it might sound bad. I, I, again, I, I just, I think it was the wrong decision to sack Steve Morrison, and the fact that Rob Edwards has been available and they could have moved for him and they haven't, um, or at least that we know of, he had, they haven't, um, with the speculation surrounding his future. Um, I think, it's, I think that there are there are better managers available right now to go for that would fit this card team very nicely. Um, that would see them unlock their potential a lot more than perhaps Mark Hudson would, based on his inexperience. That being said, the two games he's had so far, I've been quite impressed with. More more impressed with them than the first few games under Steve Morrison last season. So um, I think you take that into account. He's had a slightly better start, um, but he does have a better squad available to him. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bright start. Um, it's a positive start. But for me, I think there are better managers available right now that I would go for if I was ambitious. And that's not criticising Cardiff as a club. It just probably tells you where they are, maybe financially. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think Mark, Mark Hudson is a cheap option, essentially. Um, and Cardiff, judging from this, can't go out there and say to a new manager, look, we'll give you this money to see us through for the next couple of seasons. Um, so they're having to rely on someone like Mark Hudson to go out and do it. But to be fair to him, I've been, I've liked what I've seen from Cardiff on him so far. I think they've offered more than they did under Steve Morrison earlier this season. Having said that, 
Steve Morrison was having to make do with Max Waters up front for <laughs> the first few games <laughs> of the season, whereas Mark Hudson said Callum Robinson and the difference is just completely amazing. So maybe a bit difficult to judge the two apart in that sense. And it may just be a new manager bounce. So only time will tell. But I think if Mark Hudson is being judged on the game so far, then maybe he does deserve a bigger crack at it. A wordie from Zion Fleming. Wasn't enough for Millwall to win at Rotherham. That game finished one all. Justin, what a strike that was. The funny thing is, we were just talking about <laughs> him at the weekend, weren't we, about how he's not scored yet. He's had the most shots per game than any other player in the division. I think he had something ridiculous, like six, seven, eight shots in this game as well. And he nearly came close to scoring with an unbelievable free kick from about 30 yards out as well. But this goal in particular, what an unbelievable goal that was. I think it just shows his quality, doesn't it? To be able to pull that off from the distance he did um, was unreal. Um, and I think if he's having that many shots on goal, he clearly backs himself. Not in the sense that Charlie Adam backs himself from 60 yards every time he comes into possession of the ball. But if he's coming from within 20, 25, 30 yards and he's going to take a pot, um, if he can pull them off <clears throat> on the regular like he did here, then yeah, he's going to score a hat full of goals. But I think it's the fact that the interesting thing, this fact that he missed from about four yards out at the weekend and then he pulls it off from 30 yards out. Maybe he's just a lot better from shooting from 30 yards than he is from five. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. But the, the crazy thing was this goal was supposedly his weaker foot. So for him to hit it that cleanly from 30 yards out into the top pins is unbelievable. Uh, but I suppose it's a sign of the player that Millwall have got here. They spent a lot of money on him by their standards. So exciting things to come if uh, this is more of what we're going to see. And as we say, he's certainly not been shy to have a pop at goal. Um, and we could maybe be seeing more of this over the coming weeks. So certainly a player to keep an eye on for you, listener. Um this was new boss Matt Taylor's first game in charge of the club. We'll talk more about his appointment very shortly in the news. The only thing to mention in this game was how strange the penalty was. George Long, the Millwall keeper, moved along his line to where the penalty went and still didn't save it. It was like when you're playing FIFA and you've got your mate alongside you and you can see where he's going on his controller and you go over to save it and then it still goes in anyway. It was very, very strange. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it, I've urge you to have a look at it. Um, Burnley and Stoke drew one all. Burnley controlled the game for long periods and probably should have seen the game out before Harry Clark equalised in the 88th minute. But we're disappointed for Vincent Company because that's the third time in the last five games where they've conceded a late equaliser, Justin. And I don't know how much of a reflect it should be on his manager on, on his playing career, considering he was one of the best defenders this country's ever seen. But you, <laughs> you wouldn't expect it in that regard, would you? Um, I guess not, but if you consider the inexperience both in the squad and uh, in company, probably, especially early on in his tenure, you are going to expect it. But he, he went through the motions of underlet like this as well. There are games where um, they didn't create the they didn't create enough chances that reflected their possession stats. If you look at this game in particular, 69% of the ball, and you're coming away from home with a 1-1 draw, um, again, 69% of the ball, and you don't build upon a 1-0 lead, is, is really, really poor. Um, and they're a sore one, I think, for a lot of fans, um, especially, as you say, when you, when they drop another lead. That's 10 points dropped from leading positions after 12 games. Even if, again, if you even if you just plug half of that, Burnley, Burnley are top of the league. Um, so there's clearly issues there that the company needs to work on. Um, it's seeing games out, it's managing games, and being a bit braver. It's, I think it comes down to a bit of that as well, just being a little bit braver and allowing his team just to hit teams when they're when they're on top because I don't think they're doing that yet I think they're still playing um under a little bit of a leash which I think is is fair given the company's firstly inexperience as I say and um time in charge of Burnley Sunderland nil Blackpool nil either side could have won this one both came very close it's back-to-back goalless draws for Sunderland's Really missing a striker, aren't they? They haven't had one available for the past three games because of injuries to Roster and Ellis Sims. And Tony Mowbray's been questioned on whether they should bring someone in from the free agent market, but he seems a bit reluctant to do that um, while both are on the sidelines. Meanwhile, Blackpool only have the one win from eight. Have a couple of tricky games coming up as well. It's a bit of a worrying time, actually, for Blackpool. And finally, Bristol City against Coventry. Ended goalless. Coventry came the closest to scoring here. This was Bristol City's first point in four games. Right now, it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news. And Chris Wilde has been sacked as Middlesbrough manager after 11 months. They won just two of their opening 11 games. Justin, we speculated about it happening in Sunday's episode. But even then, I was still mildly surprised by it actually happening. I think it's. I think the surprise comes from um, Middlesbrough just making a decision because they always come across as a club who will stick by their manager. Um, uh, I mean, it was a surprise when Neil Warnock got sacked, but when you consider it, it wasn't really a surprise either because of their inconsistency. Um, but I think because of Wilder's pull and um, I don't know grandeur in the championship, I think it's always a surprise when actually a team um, has the balls to do it, has the balls to say to him not taking this anymore and by that I think the speculation surrounding his future constantly linked with other clubs lends into that a little bit and yeah just the balls to do it and say no nah, we'll we'll find someone better who's a better fit for us I think he is I think that's where the surprise comes from um because it is a brave decision um because of Wilder's ability to get the best out of teams in this league um but saying that I think Middlesbrough have done the right thing for them and I think they will find a manager who will unlock the potential in this team and bridge that gap between supporters and the team again yeah, Chris Wilder's undoubtedly a brilliant manager, isn't he? And on the face of it, it seems like him being sacked after less than a year is a bit mental. However, it was quite apparent that all wasn't well at Middlesbrough, wasn't it? Wilder's annoyed with the recruitment. There have been some reports that players were signed without his say-so, and he thought this team needed more if it was going to be a serious promotion challenger. It seems like a similar situation to what happened at Sheffield United, where... He wasn't happy that he didn't have full control over who came in and who came out. And more or less, he threw his toys out the pram. So it's led to him having a frosty relationship with the Middlesbrough hierarchy. And it simply was the best thing for all party that he leaves. I think it is a bit strange because I think he knew what he was signing up for there. Wanted the director of football, Kieran Scott. When you go in there, you know that the director of football... His job is to sign players. So Wilder seemingly knew that was going to be sacrificed by him, but he clearly thought he was going to have more of an input on that side of things. So it's the best thing for all parties because I think Wilder will be in another job in the next year. I've no doubt about that just because I think he's too big a name to be sat by his phone waiting for a call for Mm. too long. And Middlesbrough can get someone in who can get this team moving in the right way because it should be competing for the playoffs at the very least, shouldn't it? You look at the players there, that's yeah. a very good set of players. Um, it may have a couple of gaps here and there, but overall, it shouldn't be lingering around the relegation zone, should it, anyway? So the big question is, Justin, who will that man be who takes over from Chris Wilder? Plenty of names have been banded about, and Rob Edwards is the current favourite with the bookies, or at least he was last time I checked. What are you thinking? Um, oh, I definitely want to be Gary O'Neill. Uh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of, seen a lot of, um, a lot of fan reaction to the Gary O'Neill link. I think it's brilliant. If anyone wants to check that out, it's quite an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I think Rob Edwards is a decent fit. I think what Middlesbrough need, and what Middlesbrough absolutely need, is a manager who's going to come in, develop players, um, and while they're developing those players, get the team competitive in and around the playoffs as well. Um, can Rob Edwards do that? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I think Carlos Colbert might be a better fit, although I think his football is more defensive than it is um, pressing and, um, yeah, on the front foot, whereas Rob Edwards might lend into that a little bit more. Um, I think it's a risk as well, based on Rob Edwards' time at Watford. And I know we've criticised the Watford squad in their recruitment, but um, there were a lack of answers to a lot of tactical issues that maybe his inexperience at this level um, played into. That being said, um, I do think they need a manager of the profile of a Rob Edwards, of a Carlos Colbrand, who can come in, not work under restrictions, but work under um, constraints. I think Chris Wilder wanted millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds, whereas Middlesbrough aren't a cha- aren't a club who have parachute payments. Um, and if you if you think about the players that Wilder was linked to, he wanted to throw money at it. And I think Middlesbrough need to be more prudent because of those reasons, and, and I think that will stand him in good stead. Uh, in the long term as well. So someone like Rob Edwards or Carlos Colbrand for me are the two better fits for that job at this time than perhaps big money, big money man coming in. Well, I won't go with Rob Edwards personally. I think it was ridiculous for Watford to sack him, but I don't think they really learned that much about him as a manager. And ultimately, his only prior experience is a season at a League Two club where he did get promoted, but that was also nearly ballsed up towards the <laughs> end. So I 
think there were better options than Edwards personally. I wouldn't go with Sean Dyche. I thought he was the obvious no, choice initially, no, but no. he doesn't fit the style of play at all. Carlos Corbran's the choice for me because his head coach fits the setup at Borough and has more experience at this level than other candidates. And I think his style will also suit the players at Borough more. If I was in charge at Middlesbrough, though, I'd probably just hold on a sec before appointing mm-hmm. anyone because I'd be keeping a very keen eye on the Steve Cooper situation at Forest. Yeah. I think the owner there is foolish enough to sack him if things don't improve very soon. And he would be, without doubt, the perfect candidate if he becomes available. So I'd just hold fire for now and just see how that rolls out over the next week or so. Um, but Wilder sacking now means a third of championship clubs have changed manager this season. And amazingly, we're only a quarter of the way into the season. Even more amazing is that one of those managers isn't Steve Bruce. Uh, Matt Taylor is the new manager of Rotherham. The former Exeter boss replaces Paul Warren after he left to go to Derby. We spoke about it on Sunday. Justin, any further thoughts on that? Um, it's quite weird how it was announced. It seemed like we were getting statement after statement after statement of him saying they're talking to each other. We'll let you know when it's done. I think there was like three statements from both clubs on that, um, which I thought was strange. But I think this is a good appointment for um, for Rotherham. I think it's a, a, a slight evolution of the style of play as well, because Matt Taylor hasn't been renowned for playing um, direct football crosses into the box for Exeter. He has been a little bit more um, free with, with, with the players. So, yeah, I think it's a good appointment. And as I say, Sparks a really good change for Rotherham, who before Warren, appointed the likes of Warnock, Jacket, Steve Evans, experienced managers. Um, so now they've gone down the Paul Warren route. They're staying on that route, which I think will stand them in good stead in the future. The latest on Hall search for a manager, Olympiacos boss or ex-Olympiacos boss, Pedro Martins, looks set to take over. Wolves were reportedly interested in his services, but he seemingly opted to join the Hull revolution. A big statement, if that's the case, to stem away from a Premier League side, Justin. It, it's very interesting and I think actually quite exciting. He certainly got a better CV than shot at Ovaladze anyway. He worked away as a coach before getting the Maritimo job in Portugal and took them to their best performance in the European competition. He then had a couple of other jobs in Portugal where he seemed to do a very solid job um, in getting them to compete alongside the big three or four teams over in Portugal. He's most known for his time at Olympiacos, though, where he won the league title three times on the trot. Now, people may say that's not too impressive. Olympiacos win the league title quite a lot in Greece. But <laughs> prior to his appointment there, they had nine managers in six years. He was there for four years. So he clearly has something about him. They only conceded 14 goals in 26 games as well last season, which I hope will mean we'll see a vast improvement for Hall defensively because they've been pretty woeful at that so far. But if they were going to get in someone who didn't have championship experience, they needed to be a bloody good manager. And it seems like this guy is that. For some reason, I keep getting echoes of Nuno when he went (laughs) to Wolves because Hull have had this massive overhaul of signing an influx of players from a certain country. In that case, it was Portugal. In this case, it's Turkey. But they just needed the right man in charge to make it all click together and really sew it together. Pedro Martins could be that guy. Or he could be another shot at Ovaladzi. But from his CV so far, it looks like he would be more than Nuno kind of side of things. So I think this is a really exciting appointment, Justin. Completely agree. Um, I know I said at the weekend that if then if they, they shouldn't go for a manager who has had only had an experience in one country. Um and as you as you quite rightly pointed out, and it's a really important point, if they're not going to get a manager who has a championship experience get a very good manager and get a manager who has gone into different countries and also has a CV uh, and a background of, of managing the smaller teams inside countries. You know, For example, you know, he's managed Rio Ave, Vittoria uh, Guimaraes as well, uh, and uh, Maritimo, uh, all in Portugal, um, before going into the big job at Olympiacos. Um, and they were good teams. They, they qualified. Uh, Vittoria Guimaraes qualified for the Europa League uh, under his tenure um, he's got European experience as well with um, Olympiacos so there's a lot of ticks on that CV that um, other managers haven't had for Hull um, and certainly the likes of Scott Parker and Carlos Corbran etc don't have either so yeah you're quite right if they're going to get a manager get a good one um, oh, <laughs> sounds really stupid if they're going to get a manager from abroad get a good one get a good one with really good experience as well um, and I think Pedro Martins yeah fits a, fits a very nice bill and we could see as you quite rightly said a um, bit more of the uh, the Wolves under uh, uh, under Nuno. 
Birmingham have condemned racist social media abuse aimed at midfielder Janino Bakuna. They say they're appalled and that the accounts are based outside the UK. And Watford have signed young striker Jorge Cabezas Hurtado from Colombian side Real Cartagena. He'll officially join next summer and his contract will run until 2029. You could say a lot about how Watford have run, but they've got to admit their recruitment is extensive, to say the least. It's kind of like football manager, isn't it, with them sometimes? <laughs> right, now it's time for this. Diddy? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess. And Justin, to offer up the players, the score is 35-27 to my colleague. Now, Justin, I'm going in with the different tactics this week. I'm going to go in. Head first. First thing that comes to my head, stomach, whatever that's saying, I'm just going in without thinking about it because I feel like when I overthink it, that's when I lose points on this. Kazenga Lawalawa. I'm going straight in as well. <laughs> Are you going to tell me the team or? <laughs> that's a good point. Oh, I fluff this. Kazenga Lawalawa and Sunderland. Yes. Are you sure? Correct. Six appearances in 2018. I wasn't sure at all with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One out of one for me so far, then. Gary Hooper and QPR. No. Correct. (laughs) Next, please. Carlton Morris and Rotherham United. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. You'd be correct. Two loan spells, one in 2017 and one in 2020. Again, was not sure about that one, but carry on. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> Ricardo Fuller in Ipswich Town. Yes. Three appearances in 2006. <laughs> four out of four. Keep it going, Justin. Michael Chopper and Watford. No. Incorrect. Loan spell in 2003. No. <laughs> I said no, but then I thought instantly. Hang on a minute. No. Here we go. Here we okay. go. Right. Okay. Right. That's fine. My, my, my head and my stomach were arguing on that one, but I went with my head when I really shouldn't have. Uh, next one, please, Justin. Four out of five. Chris Willock in Brentford. No. Ooh, are you sure? I'll give no. you a chance to change your answer. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with no. You'd be correct. His brother did play for him, though. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, Joe? Or the other no. one? I can't remember the other one's no. name. I can't remember the other one's name either. Uh, I can't remember now, actually. I might be incorrect. We'll get a fact tracker on that. Anyway, next one. <laughs> Glenn Johnson and Millwall. Ooh. Ooh. He stumbled. The only reason I haven't gone head in on this one is because I remember looking at Glenn Johnson's Wikipedia the other day. I think he did. Are you sure? No. I'm not sure on any of these. What's your final answer then? Uh, I'm going to go he did. Former West Ham youngster? Yes. I I, I know. I I think that's why it stood out for me that he did. Oh, balls. Yeah, he had a loan spell in 2002. Made eight appearances. Caught me by surprise that one did. Six out of seven. Richard Wood, Barnsley. I don't know Richard Wood's career at all, so I'd go no. Correct. (laughs) Seven out of eight. I'll tell you what, I was amazed by your score last week of eight, Justin. If I were to go ahead this week, I'd be buzzing. You'd be buzzing, would you? Yep. Fine then, let's give you this one. Billy Sharp. And Stoke City? No. Are you sure? Never in a million years. Played in stripes? Never in a million years. See, I get all my stripey teams mixed up sometimes. No. You, that you... was that was a ridiculous one, Justin. You expect me to not know the career of Billy Sharp. Come on now. Whatever. Right, you'd be correct. Eight out of nine. This is for me to take the lead. Nicky Maynard and Wigan. Yes. You'd be correct. Loads spending 2014. 
I feel like I may have stumbled upon something great here. Just going head first. What was the only one I got wrong? Uh, Michael Chopra, which I thought was the easy one. My, and I knew that one as well. But because I went in too quickly, oh, I could have got our first full marks of the season there, Justin. But I'm not going to be negative. I'm going to take that as a massive, massive positive because I go ahead, ladies and gentlemen, 36-35 to the Dilksmeister on Diddy <laughs> or Dillenty for the season. Still very tight. Justin can get back in the lead next week. But this has been the second tier podcast and the midweek edition where we've gone through all the midweek games in the championship. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend's games as well as talking about all the news in the championship over the coming days. So we look forward to seeing you then. But this has been the second tier podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.